The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times, or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. The Biggest Story, written by Kevin DeYoung, illustrated by Don Clark, and published by Crossway. Chapter 3. Not too long after the whole tower business, God called a man named Abraham to leave his home and go to a new country. Actually, his name was Abram at this point, but everyone remembers him as Abraham. When God called Abraham, he made a lot of big promises. He promised to bless Abraham and to bless everyone who blessed Abraham. He promised to curse everyone who cursed Abraham. He promised Abraham a land and a child. God promised that Abraham would be the father of a great nation and that all nations would be blessed through him. Pretty much all the blessing that God wanted to give Adam and Eve, he promised to Abraham. And the best part, this time God was going to do everything himself to make sure Abraham got his blessing. You might think that God wanted to bless Abraham because he was such a swell guy. But Abraham didn't know God at all when God called him. And even after he got the call and all these promises, Abraham could still be a liar and a bit of a scaredy cat. Abraham's life had a lot of ups and downs, but he had two things going for him. The only two things, it turns out, that really matter. God's promise to bless him and Abraham's belief in God's promise. That's all Abraham had, which was a good deal because it was all he needed. At times, it looked as if God wasn't going to keep his promises to Abraham. For one thing, it was about a hundred years before Abraham and his wife Sarah, who used to be called Sarai, had a baby named Isaac, who thankfully was always called Isaac. And then when the baby grew into a boy, God told Abraham to kill him. That must have seemed like a not-so-funny way to make a great nation out of Abraham, but Abraham listened to God anyway. And at the last second, God gave Abraham a ram to sacrifice instead of his beloved son. It was God's way of saying, I'll take care of the rescuing. Just trust me. Eventually, Isaac grew up. He got married and had some kids of his own, twins to be exact, Esau and Jacob. God picked Jacob to get the blessing, even though he was the younger brother and wasn't supposed to get the blessing, but God is God, so he gets to pick. Jacob had 12 sons, and this time it was the fourth son, Judah, who wound up with the best blessing. Jacob told Judah that a lion of a leader would come from his family. Great blessings, but not so great people. Isaac was sort of a weakling. Jacob was a selfish trickster. And Judah did such dumb stuff, we don't even want to talk about it. And yet, again and again, God kept his promises all the same. He blessed the whole lot of them, despite themselves. Maybe the snake crusher would still come from the gnarled branches of the Abraham, Isaac, Jacob family tree. Chapter 4. Several hundred years after God's promise to Abraham, it looked like things have got way off track. When God told Abraham to leave his home, he promised to give him a new land in Canaan. It was going to be a great land. It was supposed to remind God's people of the garden they once had. It would be sweet 
and refreshing with plenty of milk and honey. But Abraham and his sons never really possessed the land they were promised. And now it was 400 years later and they were slaves in Egypt. How Abraham's family got to Egypt is a long story, but here's the short version. They went to Egypt because there was a famine in Canaan. And when they got to Egypt, Jacob's sons found their long lost brother, Joseph, who helped them get food and a place to live, even though he was there because his 10 older brothers had been jealous and sold him in slavery after they almost killed him because of his fancy coat. Told you it was a long story. Well, delivering them from famine was one thing. That's when Israel's family was still pretty small. Israel, by the way, was Jacob's new name. I guess everybody needed two names back then. But hundreds of years later, the family was huge. How would God save a couple million people from slavery? It's not like he could just turn the Nile River into blood and send frogs and gnats and flies and disease and boils and hail and locusts and darkness and death until the king of Egypt let them go. That's actually exactly what God did. God raised up Moses to deliver his people, but in reality, God did all the work. He sent the plagues. He led the people with fire and cloud. He made the sea turn to dry land so the Israelites could walk through, and then he turned the dry land back to sea when the Egyptians tried to cross over. It seemed that no matter what the Israelites did or what everyone else did to them, God always found a way to save his people. How are we doing, Tabernacle? Good. It's good to be with you tonight. Uh, if you're new here, if you haven't been here in a little bit, uh, my name's Seth, and I have the pleasure of serving as one of the pastors here, and I serve down in Manistee, and, and uh, man, I love nights like tonight. I get to join you semi-frequently on Saturday nights, but it's awesome to just get to be with you in this role, to be able to teach uh, to be able to spend some time with you and to just celebrate the fact that I love being one church in multiple locations. Amen? Uh, anybody getting a little excited for uh, Christmas? How cool was that uh, opening of the biggest story last week? Awesome opportunity. So one of the things that like, I felt like I needed to confess to Manistee and just since we are one church, I'm going to let you in on a little secret and that I'm a little bit of a Scrooge. But I'm a Scrooge by necessity, because otherwise um, we would be the people literally like with, I, I think we would get the hint when the Christmas tree started dying, but like my wife is like begging at the end of October, tree time? Is it time for the tree? Yeah, and it's like, no. But uh, in, all, in all things, like um, I do, part of the reason that I am a little bit of a Scrooge though, is because I think we as the church do the worst job celebrating Christmas, Amen. No, you shouldn't amen that. That's fine. Uh, but in reality, like I, I don't care for the fact that so often we hold our Christmas celebrations in a room like this. And that's as far as our celebrations go. And that's part of the reason why I am loving just this whole series of The Biggest Story. To remind us, to refresh us, maybe of just that simple rewrite. Say, oh man, we're doing a children's book. But you know what? Sometimes it's the greatest opportunity to sit down together as a family and to field those questions. I've got four little girls, and the questions that we're starting to get now is like, shoot, you're pretty good at the stump the pastor game. <laughs> and, and so it is. Uh, we look forward to, I look forward to, 
just kind of jumping in again into this biggest story because it is the opportunity for us to really remind our hearts, to center our hearts, and to do this thing well, that it's not a one-day celebration. It's a month-long celebration. It's a week-long celebration. It's a year-long celebration. And that's why I love this December series. It's not a Christmas series. It's a December series called The Biggest Story. Amen? Should we jump in? Hey, whether you're here or whether you're uh, listening in online, we're so glad to just spend this time together. And part of where we're diving into with this second week, um, as, as Martin said, like if this is your first week, awesome, but we'll get you caught up just a little bit. That last week we jumped in, John kind of led us through this awesome thing that God did in the garden, providing this for the first time, a cultured piece of dust as God created this thing and, and cultivated it into this place called the Garden of Eden. And it was beautiful, it was perfect, and, and God lifted up his creation and he put his creation into action and he said, go, go anywhere, and gave him so much freedom to explore to name and to go have full dominion over this garden. And we saw what? We saw the fall. We saw uh, what we know. We saw sin enter mankind. And John pointed this out, and I love this. I love this. This was that piece that, you know, you look for that takeaway every week for yourself. And I'm the same way. I look for that one takeaway. That thing that I can sit into is the fact that for the first time, God's presence became all the more real after we sinned to remind us that God had a plan, right? That, that there wasn't something that was going to be faulted and thrown off course because of sin, that in God's sovereignty and his power, there was still going to be a pursuit, a pursuit of love. And I love that coming out of last week. I love the fact that God's response wasn't entering that garden with a finger pointing, with anger reared, but it was with mercy, and it was grace over the creation that he loved, and the creation that he set forth to say, you're still mine, but this has to be fixed. And that's where we're picking up the story. We heard um, from Victoria reading through um, our chapters 3 and 4 that we pick up right with one of the greatest gifts. We, we haven't met the snake crusher yet. As, as Kevin DeYoung calls him in that book, the snake crusher was promised to Adam and Eve in response to that sin, in response to what the serpent had done. And he's coming and Victoria gave us a picture of that. And so what it is is that as we jump in, we want to jump in right away with this idea that God has a plan. Can we say that together, church? God has a plan. Thank you for that Sunday school answer, Seth. Perfect. But here's why this is important. Because it's not your plan. And thankfully, it's not my plan. And that it's a plan that wasn't thwarted, wasn't altered based on a feeling, wasn't altered based on whatever agenda you love to run your life by that dictates your schedule, but it was God's plan. And I love that. And we're going to jump into, we're going to read just a few verses tonight from Genesis 12. 
And we'll have this on the screens in just a second, but it's that reminder that as we sit into God's plan, if we can sum that up. So I'm, I'm the simple guy. I like things simple. It's the fact that this plan was built on a relationship. And if you're sitting here for the first time, like you're here because this is what my family does during December, does during this Christmas season. It's the fact that we are talking the, the biggest story is the fact that God created us. And despite what we, not Adam and Eve, what we did in the garden, their sin is our sin, is it not? What we did in the garden, God says, I want a relationship. Because that is mine. And it broke his heart when something got put in the way of that relationship. And so God's plan is a plan of relationship. It's a plan of purpose. And it's a plan of worship. So let's jump in together. We're reading from the ESV tonight. We'll have it on the screens for you. But this is Genesis 12, 1 to 3. It says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Church, I love this. Because if we can sum up this in one word, it's a promise. It's a promise. And that's exactly what God's getting. That right away in the fall, God told Adam and Eve, there's a snake crusher coming. So live in hope. Don't live in shame. Chase after me. You wanted to till your own garden. You till that garden. But do so in light of me, and that this snake crusher is not physically present yet. And what I love what he says to Abraham is the reminder that we so often need. This was a heavy week for our church here, was it not? A couple of funerals here. Martin mentioned the tragedy at Westside Community this week. That's a heavy week, and yet the reality, maybe the landing point, is exactly what God told Abraham, I have a plan and a promise for you. I have a plan and a promise. It was foretold. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than what you're going through. It's bigger than the season right now. And what I love, and maybe where I think we, church, get a little bit jaded, is we don't like this word promise, do we? Because we've had promises broken, right? Like, we are so technology-driven, we, we have so much information that we are wired into now that we are really a generation of loopholes, are we not? I didn't have enough money to worry about this, but prenups, they're a thing, right? Let's plan my exit strategy before I even put the ring on the finger. That's not a problem in my case. Hey, Heather, you want to be poor? Sure. Sweet. But no, we look for loopholes. We look for lemon laws to get out of the contract we signed to buy the car. We look for loopholes 
greener pastures when we've made a commitment to something, right? We are the generation of loopholes. I don't like my job. I'm going to go ahead and get something that will make me happier. We pull out the phone. We pull out the computer. And there's nothing bad about change. But sometimes God calls us to stay put. Sometimes God's calling us and reminding us, Hey, I made you a promise. And so can I get nerdy with you for a second? I'm going to show you my colors. Like I love like digging in because context matters, right? You and I gloss over this thing called a promise. We don't make light of that. To us, a promise is a promise. I promise I'll be at your basketball game. I promise I'll be home in time for dinner. I promise, I promise, I promise, right? It's a common word. It's like that word love. I love a lot of things. I don't love Taco Bell. I love authentic Mexican. I love my dog the same way, right, as I do my wife, right? Words matter. There's no wasted words in Scripture. And the beauty of it, what we miss a little bit, so here's, I told you I'd give you this thing, this nerdy piece, that the Hebrews wouldn't have missed this when this was written down for them. That this idea of promising, when, when God makes promises, a little later um, in Genesis 15, it says God covenanted with Abraham. The Hebrew, there is a super nerdy thing that we miss, they didn't. That literally means, it mean, it's, it's the word is karat. Can you say that with me? Karat. Yeah, those are in the veggie drawer and my refrigerator. So what, Seth? But karat literally means, for them, they wouldn't have missed it, literally means to take a hammer and chisel. That when God karats with you, he doesn't leave you something with a loophole. He doesn't leave you something that dissolves. He doesn't leave you something with a piece of paper to be shredded, burned at a later date when it's inconvenient. He leaves you with a promise that he says is literally cut into stone. That's the promise that God makes with you. That's the promise that God made with Abraham. And what I love about that is it's the promise that if you will leave whose land? Your land. If you will leave whose family? Your family. If you will leave whose house? Your dad's house. That just doesn't sound easy. I like easy, Seth. I like easy. But what God is saying is that even despite the hurt we'll have from an imperfect country, an imperfect family, imperfect parents, imperfect household, God says, my word, my promise is cut in stone for you. It's not going anywhere. And what I love about this book is that despite all of our feelings that when, when something in the scriptures is lifted up, when someone is lifted up, they must have a super faith. They must be a little bit different than me, a different cloth cut a little different than me. It's the fact that it reminds us so quickly 
that there's no such thing as a perfect person. And that the snake crusher, the promised one, the main character of the book, that dude's got to have a good family. Except for the fact the whole lineage started with a guy that said, yeah, God, I'm getting impatient. I'll go ahead and jumpstart the process with my wife's servant. My beloved son, the one that I idolize, certainly he'll get it right. Because the snake crusher's coming from our family. Someone's got to get it right. Oh, he's the one that said to the foreign king, yeah, that's not my wife, that's my sister. Try doing that, gentlemen. I'm sure that'll be a fun car ride home. And Isaac bore Jacob and Esau, fighting right from the womb. I don't know what that's like. I just have girls. So we don't fight with fists. It just gets really high-pitched in my household. But Jacob and Esau, born of deceit, born of competition, deceives his way, Jacob, as the second-born, into his blessing, the blessing. And when he finally gets it, he, what's he do? He flees. He runs. He's terrified of his brother. What's he going to do to me? And Jacob, after getting suckered into not one but two wives, is the father of many sons. That's bad, because y'all are just singing a Sunday school song in your son. Many sons has father. That's bad. I'm sorry. Don't put an ADD guy on stage. Um, had Judah. And the book mentions it. Smugly stuff. Slept with his daughter-in-law because he mistook her for a prostitute. There's no good ending in that story. This is the snake crusher's legacy. And the same thing that many of us say, I don't have the pedigree, I don't have the background. If you knew my history, you know what? The snake crusher wasn't working with much better. And God's promise was still true. Whose plan is it, church? It's God's. God has a plan. And if we learn nothing else from his family lineage, it's this. God's plan is for imperfect people. That should be the biggest sigh of relief for this whole room. Because it's finally that spot where all of a sudden this perfect God and these perfect characters that we lift up at times, all of a sudden we have place in this story. And I know this. Because I come from that family. I come from that family that says, oh, I love my family to death. My mom's going to watch this, so I wouldn't lie to you. But I come from a family where one of the things that I love was the fact that we had little kids running around all the time. I wanted a family. And yet, the more I looked and the more I learned about my family legacy, my family past was that it was broken family, broken family, adultery, second spouse, third spouse, adultery. There's brokenness in my family, and all of a sudden it became this thing, 
man, what are the chances of me getting it right in spite of this? And that I was getting to about the time, like, I was a weird one. Like, I thought kids would be awesome. Like, like, I loved playing with my nieces and my nephews in high school. But then as I started pursuing relationships, as I started trying to learn and navigate this ground, you know what happened? The same thing. Patterns of brokenness. Patterns of broken relationships. Patterns of, of just mistreating girls and women. And all of a sudden, I became this thing that I dreamt of as I watched my nieces and nephews became that thing that I became terrified of. But God's plan is for imperfect people, right? And when I had written that plan off, when I had decided that plan wasn't for me, I already know how that story goes, God. And I'm not bringing that kind of pain into somebody else's world. All of a sudden came this woman that was willing to give a cracked pot a chance. And that's the greatest blessing here for us, church, that we're a church of cracked pots, are we not? And the beauty of cracked pots is there's character, right? There's history, there's heritage. And what I love about God's promises is when God's promise is put inside of one of those cracked pots, what shines through? It's not you, it's not me. What happens when we experience the hurt of another broken relationship? God's promise shines through. What happens when that friend that we said would always be with us never gossip about us? Gossips about us. God's promise can shine through. And it's that power that for the first time as we admit our brokenness, I think... We have the opportunity to look at it and to say, what do I want to do with this? Is this going to be the mark of my life? As I looked at my family legacy, do I really want to add to that legacy? And certainly the answer was no. But for many of us, we sit inside that same prison saying, you know what, God? My country is too messed up. My family is too jacked up. My household has too much baggage. And that is precisely why God called Abraham. Leave. Because otherwise... You'll hang on to this hurdle. You'll hang on to this struggle. You'll hang on to this fear. You'll hang on, you fill in the blank. Words matter, right? God called Abraham to leave his, to leave his, to leave his. To go to what? 
the land I will provide for you. The nation I will make through you. The family I will give to you. God's plan was never for Abraham, was never for you, was never for Isaac, was never for me to shoulder the load. But it was all for him to do the heavy lifting when we showed we couldn't in the garden. Why? Because God's plan isn't about you. But the best news is that it is for you. I want to jump just a second. I think this will get us in the ballpark. To Romans 6. And we're going to have this on, on the screen here in a second. That we're, we're jumping in. And, and this is that piece where like, okay, so I'm the bad guy that likes sending you home with homework, right? So that's fine. Dig into Romans 6. Learn about the snake crusher. Learn about the fact that, you know what, God has a plan. And maybe it's this week that's reminded you the holidays, the Christmas season has this weird way of just gnawing at those tugs of where our families aren't perfect by showing us how much that, you know what, I don't love my job. Now I see why you're a Scrooge, Seth. Just kidding. But it should also remind us the source of our good things, right? And that's where Romans 6, I love. I love. Because we're going to talk about this for a little bit with our remaining time. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly... Golly. My speech therapy is coming right back out. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For no one di- uh, excuse me, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Say set free, church. So, if there's any coaches in the room, this is going to make you smile a little bit. So, I've shared with you before that I had the opportunity to play football in college. And I've been reflecting on him this week because uh, my coach, Coach Swider from college, retired this year. It's an awesome opportunity. A man that accolades this long. And yet, what, I don't remember individual games. I don't remember what happened. I don't remember the scores. But what I do remember is, is Wheaton was a, is a Christian college, and so he could just pour out into you daily, constantly, about feeding you as a child, a player, a student, a man of Christ. We call them swiderisms. And, and, and we really said that Coach Swider was a brainwasher because you'll remember these swiderisms at like the most inopportune. It's like, oh gosh, Coach, get out of my head. And it happened this week. And he had this line always. It became a thing you almost resented in the middle of the off-season grind, going through um, daily practices, daily lifting routines. He said, men, are you getting better or are you getting worse? Because nobody stays the same. What's that have to do with us 
tonight, Seth. It has everything to do with us tonight. The beauty of that Romans 6 passage is that it says, we have been crucified with Christ. Now, what's that have to do with Abraham? It means that the snake crusher has come. We know that, right? John said, we're, we're dropping spoilers the whole time in this biggest story series. We get to live into the promise fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Because the power of sin that affected Abraham, that affected Isaac, that affected each and every generation thereafter, has been broken. The power of sin has been broken. It's been put to death. The same as you and I have with Christ. We should be amening that all day, church, that we don't live under the power of sin any longer. Yeah, but my life is still rough, Seth. No, that's the presence of sin. And I want to take just a moment to say, as we sit into this final point, that Jesus had a plan. God had a plan because Jesus is the plan. Can you say that with me, church? Jesus is the plan. And all of a sudden, our daily struggles, our daily temptations, our daily pitfalls, whatever you want to call it, and our daily joys get set into place. They're exactly what Coach Swider told me they are. They're opportunities. And each and every day, we, through living into the hope and the promise, the covenant, the karat of what God gave to Abraham is ours in the snake crusher. We don't live under a power that binds us to death any longer, church. We get to live into this promise of hope and a blessing that who provides? Not you, but it's God. God puts it in me and God puts it in you. And so each and every day, my wife reminds me of this often. I hate to tell you, I'm the dramatic one of the Bush family. So like when her girls have the outbursts, Heather's just like, yep, that's you. Thank you. She reminds me constantly, constantly. If I'm complaining about something, Seth, have you used that yet? What do you mean? I know what she means now. I just don't like admitting it. Have you gone to God with that? Have you entrusted God with that? Have you taken the opportunity to leave God with that? Because each and every one of those struggles, the addiction that's plaguing your world, God doesn't cast you in that alone. But God does say, bring it to me. God doesn't leave you alone in the family drama that you know is coming in a couple of weeks at your family dinner. I just got done recovering from Thanksgiving. I have to go again. But God says, I'm your family. Will you give that to me? Yeah, but I have to walk back into work. You get a day of rest tomorrow on Monday. You don't know who I work for, but have you given it to God? Yeah, but I'm actually in a good season right now, Seth. I don't need anything. Have you given that to God and said thank you? 
Have you used the season, the day, the moment, the hour that you are in to say, I want to get better in my relationship with God. I want to give that to God. I want to honor God in that. I want to give God thanks for that because that's what the plan is all about. That's what the snake crusher is all about so that we don't live under the weight of the power of sin anymore so that in the presence of sin, in the presence of darkness, that we can finally turn to God and say, Lord, I know your promise now. And this will not win. Lord, I see this joy now. Thank you for that. And will we seek him as hard on our good days in the Christmas season as we will on our difficult days? Because that's the call, that's what the promise allows us to do. That we don't live in light of an altar of sacrifice, we live in light of the sacrifice given. We don't live in fear of a chain anymore that most of us kind of know what these are. And this is cliche as it gets, people. But it's the most accurate thing that we can say. You know what these are? Pretty simple. The most, like, worthless thing. Because you buy these once, you maybe use them once, and then they sit there. But in that instance, they break you free, do they not? That's the promise of God. That's the snake crusher. That's the reminder that God gives us every day. We haven't been resurrected yet. So we should expect some troubles. We shouldn't be caught off guard by difficulty. We should just take the opportunity and say, God, I can't, but you can. The band's going to come back out in just a moment. But as they do, as we approach our time of reflection, that point in the service where it's not time to go get your last cup of coffee, or it's not time to go get your last water, whatever, to get the good seat in the third space. I have a question for you. Where are you living as someone that's still bound by a chain? Church, where are you still living as if something actually has control of you? Because the promise that God gave to Abraham was the promise of one that would shatter that chain. And sometimes the most terrifying question that we have to ask ourselves is what hurdle, what presence of sin have you left in your life? What presence of sin is overwhelming you? What presence of sin is maybe out of your control? 
Because if it is something that is under your control, why are you holding on? Why are you holding on or being bound by something that's been broken? Why are you not stepping over that hurdle by saying to God, it's yours, I can't handle it. But your promise and your snake crusher can. To that thing that's out of control, why are you feeling the pressure to fix it yourself? give you a few moments what is that presence of darkness that doesn't need to weigh on you Father, we, once upon a time, put ourselves into the bounds of sin, into the chains of sin. But you didn't make a promise for us to stay ensnared forever. You didn't make a promise so that we would sit in fear. You didn't make a promise so that we would sit in our own deceit. You made a promise of a way to freedom. And even though we live in a time of loopholes, Father, your promise hasn't changed because your son never wavered. Because the snake crusher was real. So, Father, as we're about to close our service, may we sing, may we declare in this last song that we are slaves no more.
But we are a free people. We are a free church. Just help us to realize it and to live like it, to celebrate like it, to worship like it this Christmas season. In your name we pray. Amen.